Good afternoon and welcome to Enterprise System Decommissioning and the Complexities of Managing Down the Portfolio, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Harmony Healthcare IT. Just a little housekeeping. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to some audience participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box. We'll take those later in the program. And we're going to run a little one-question poll later that you can participate in, and we'll have our panelists guess at the results. Uh, nice way to see your screen today. First thing you want to do is in the top center, get in its side-by-side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to um, get the slides and the video boxes the size you want. And it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about, I'd say, 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Ed Duryi, Director of Information Systems, Columbus Regional Healthcare System, Corey Hudson, Director of Information Systems with Singing River Health System, Tom Brannigan, Senior Project Manager with Spectrum Health, and Jim Hammer, VP of Operations and Product Development with Harmony Healthcare IT. And then we will have our audience Q&A. So again, send those in as they occur to you. So let's jump right into our featured discussion. And I'm going to start with you, Ed. Can you give me an overview of your organization and your role? Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Uh, Columbus Regional is a small to mid-sized healthcare system, Whiteville, North Carolina, near Wilmington, where are 150 beds. We are independent and uh, managed by Atrium Health out of Charlotte. And I've been there just about a year. And prior to that, I was a consultant there and led the Cerner implementation. And before that, I've been on the consulting side uh, with some of the larger firms and before that uh, CIO role at a couple of different organizations. A well-rounded uh, body of experience, so looking to hear from Ed today. Corey? Uh, yes, Corey Hudson, uh, here, Director of IT here at uh, Senior River Health System. Uh, I've been here for uh, 12 years. I've uh, been in my current role since 2014, and um, uh, certainly been through many applications and, and uh, managed hundreds of solutions. So. Uh, thank you for having me. There are lots of experience there too. Tom? Yeah, I'm Tom Brannigan. I'm a senior project manager uh, for application archiving at Spectrum Health. Spectrum is the largest health system on the west side of Michigan. We have over 12 hospitals and dozens of practices that make up our system. Uh, I've been working on application archiving for Spectrum for over five years now. Uh, Spectrum started their, uh, their archiving initiative uh, back in late 2014. So since that time, we've archived over 80 different uh, clinical applications. So yeah, uh, happy to be here. Thanks. Excellent. Thank you, Tom. Jim? Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Um, I'm Jim Hammer. I'm the uh, Vice President of Operations and Product Development for Harmony Healthcare IT. Uh, that basically means I get to lead a great team of individuals who solve problems for the gentlemen uh, like we have on the panelists today. Um, Harmony Healthcare IT uh, has been in the market for 14 years uh, as a leading health data management organization. What that really means is anything healthcare data related uh, from migration, archival and decommissioning, which we'll be talking about today, uh, long-term data storage, interoperability and analytics, to name a few, uh, really are services and products that we offer. Um, we're also, from the last time we talked, we're very honored to, uh, we've been named first in class this year uh, for the archival space, uh, as well as first for the last two years in the data extraction and migration uh, category from a company called Blackbook. So definitely honored to be here today. I look forward to talking to the panelists as well. Excellent. All right, uh, Corey, we're going to start with you on this question. With many organizations tasked with reducing IT spending, is reducing your application portfolio one of the ways you plan to achieve cost savings or have done so 
in the past? Uh, definitely. Um, obviously, finding the right archive solution has been probably the most challenging piece to that. So, you know, when you have all these silos of information, you know, and you have to continue to pay some level of support for some of those solutions, then, uh, yeah, no, uh, the ultimate strategy is to, uh, you know, try to offload that data onto a single archiving solution so that you no longer have to pay for support because you're obviously obligated to, to save the data and uh, retain it for a number of years. So um, uh, the last five years or so, we've been slowly, uh, again, because, you know, budgets are also uh, capped and you can't just archive everything all at once. You have to slowly budget for those because you have other needs as well uh, in the budgeting process. And so uh, it's taken us some time, but um, slowly we've we've been dwindling down. I think we're coming to an end here, but um, yeah, it's taken that long to do so. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a, a huge cost saver, um, and uh, you know, it's great that there are solutions out there to to um, you know uh, aggregate all the data into a single archive. Right, right. So that's an interesting point. Even though it's going to save you money, it does cost some money to get it done. Um, so you can't do it all at once. You have to budget to save the money, right? right. Interesting. Uh, Tom? Yeah, uh, to piggyback on that, um, you know, that's, uh, that's definitely a concern. We found that, um, you know, our break even for the cost to archive it sometimes takes three to four years before we're actually seeing the cost savings. So it's a hard sell sometimes when you, you know, um, you think about the initial upfront cost, but when you consider that, um, you know, a, a lot of these applications contain data that has, has to be retained for over 20 years. Our, our record retention policy has, you know, most clinical data uh, has a 20 year life that we have to keep it. And um, it, it, luckily on our side though, we've had uh, a, um, a leadership committee that's committed to uh, this initiative. And, and I think that makes a big difference. They, they understand the initial upfront cost, but they can see the long-term benefits from, from doing this work. And, uh, like I said, you know, after three or four years, sometimes even less, you know, w w that's when the savings really starts to, to come in and, and sometimes it's quite significant. So the key is just articulating that to, you said to leadership, they have to, people have to understand. The key is to have a leadership team, you know, that uh, is uh, forward thinking and uh, on board with, um, you know, the, the benefits of, uh, of what this, you know, brings. Very good. Ed? I'd say the theme um, we're all saying is sometimes you have to spend money to save money and right. you need to do a uh, ROI, uh, which looks at the long term. Right. Spend money to make money. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Jim, I'm going to go with you on the next question. What kind of cost savings have you seen from reducing your customer's application portfolio and archiving legacy data? So can you set an expectation, you know, for the conversation and frame it up um, as to what you've seen in terms of spend versus ROI, making that argument, uh, getting leadership on board or, or the argument leadership needs to make to, to get this done? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, um, the gentlemen here have kind of outlined the, the hard tangible items, uh, such as maintenance costs, renewals of that. Um, that's straight ahead. Uh, usually there's a infrastructure spend savings as well. So a lot of our customers are now going and asking for hosting, um, where that wasn't the case several years ago. Um, but even in, in an on-prem situation, uh, reduction of infrastructure costs of the data centers, an example, as you shut down some of those like legacy servers, uh, certainly brings cost savings directly there. Uh, then you go into some of the soft cost savings. So things like who still can support the application if it's running five, 10, 15 years past 
a demarcation line to your new product, let's say Sooner Epic as an example, it's hard to find folks to either train and or support uh, as those resources are kind of transitioned into new roles. Um, uh, as well as we talked a little bit about infrastructure, but the security and the stability of those things. So there's a, a compliance and risk aversion cost savings, meaning you know if a server goes down and it's not been decommissioned in the archive, uh, you don't have access to that data any longer. So patient care can be affected, uh, as well as just you know in case of subpoena or, or lawsuit, uh, that that data is no longer you know e-discoverable as an example. So uh, a couple a couple cost savings, like I said, hard and soft. Yeah, so there's uh, lots of reasons um, that you might want to go ahead and archive some of this stuff. Um, next question, let's go with hey, um, Anthony. Tom. Yeah. Yeah, if I could jump in on the uh, sure. cost savings, a lot of the discussion we'll have is on clinical systems, uh, master patient index, visit history. And um, in our situation, uh, the cost savings uh, really came from converting the active AR. And our uh, partners at Atrium Health um, advised us that the days of just taking your AR, running it down in maybe six or 12 months, and then sending it out uh, to an agency, those days are over because of the Medicare rebilling and the audits and the take backs, adjustments, et cetera, where you could be doing that for years in the future. So in our case, uh, we took our active AR and converted it over into um, essentially an AR system in the archive, a special application. So that was a significant cost savings of no longer running that legacy AR system and just archiving to a static was not um, an option for us, at least in our region, because of years down the line of all this rebilling and audit activity. So things have changed, at least in, in our part of the country. Very good, thanks, uh, thanks for that additional point, Ed. Uh, okay, next question, we're gonna start with Tom on this. Why do application portfolios get bloated and how can it be stopped? Any thoughts there? Well, my health system may be unique, but uh, it seems like we're bringing in new hospitals, we're entering in new partnerships with other health systems and new practices almost daily, it seems like. So uh, that is the main you know, uh, cause of how our application portfolios get way out of you know uh, uh, out of whack, and uh, uh, how we find ourselves with you know several applications that are doing the same thing. So when we do an integration of a new practice or a new hospital, we have uh, you know teams that will go through uh, what applications are are we are bringing on board with this practice and whether or not it's a duplicate of what we already have as our uh, standard. So then, then we find ourselves with these applications that are, are no longer needed. And that's why you know, we need to uh, do something with, those, with that data. But I would say that's our number one uh, cause of uh, application bloat. Uh, and it just seems like you know, a lot of times practices just like what they've always used and they're hesitant to move to something different. So you get some pushback sometimes, but uh, for the most part, uh, uh, it's not difficult to get applications moved over to our standard. Tom, do you know if those, if those evaluations and those conversations, are they ever happening pre-acquisition where that's part of the due diligence? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And so that's what, uh, uh, you know, we have uh, an integration and migration team that, uh, that works with the practice. Because another thing you have to think about is who actually owns these, uh, the data from these applications. If a practice comes on board with your health system, do they retain that data? Are they responsible for that going forward? Or does that data now become 
uh, you know, owned by the, the, the health system. So those questions need to be answered. And with answers to those questions, uh, you kind of uh, figure out what you're going to do with these legacy applications. Very good. Ed? Yeah, and um, also on the hospital side, um, even though we're a smaller organization, we did have a fair number of, I'll call them islands of automation of niche systems. And sometimes um, it, if a department director and VP make a compelling case, they can fight for and get support for keeping their niche application at least for a while. So that's one way that the portfolios get loaded and you still have this, this long list. Um, so really back to the ROI, uh, I was mentioned earlier, kind of one central committee that approves or uh, disapproves um, standalone systems. So that's important to do that centrally. Very good, Corey. Yeah, I mean, I, I would firmly agree with what the gentlemen are talking about here. I mean, ultimately, you need a, an overall organizational strategic plan. And, um, you know, if you allow each department operational leader to kind of go their own path or go their own way, then you end up with all these disparate systems. And so uh, ultimately what then happens is, is you know, you, you end up with leaders or uh, who eventually kind of get on the same page with everybody and we're developing a strategic plan and we're trying to consolidate systems like, you know, enterprise imaging or, um, you know, certainly an EHR. Uh, but, um, you know, ultimately then when you end up with all these different solutions that you have to archive that information that's being stored. So um, if there's no clear strategic plan for the organization, um, I think that could also lead to to bloating, as you put it. Corey, what do you, what do you see as the, the the IT leader, CIO, whatever the title may be? What do you see as their your responsibility in making sure leadership understands the implications of bloat and retaining um, niche systems based on you know user preference? So. It's easy for a high-powered physician to to go into a, a CEO's office and say they want they want to keep using what they're using and they bring in a lot of revenue. So is it your job then to say, okay, here here's the downstream effect of that. If you're going to allow this, here's what it means, and you decide. I'm I'm just the guy to enable. Is that sort of how you see it? Definitely, and I think it depends on how savvy your your other operational leaders are in the organization. Uh, if you have a CEO who's kind of focused on technology and innovation, then, you know, the argument is really easy. Um, if you don't have that kind of leadership, then, you know, it's your job to communicate um, the pitfalls or the hurdles and the obstacles. And so, um, you know, communicating that and kind of pulling everybody together, not just handling them, you know, as they snipe their way into, you know, into your, yeah. your domain. Um, I think is key, so. Very good. All right, next question, Jim. We're going to go with you on this. Talk about application portfolio management. What are some of the techniques or principles by which the problem can be approached? So we know we don't want bloat. We know we don't want redundancy. Some of that's easy, right? Redundancy is redundancy. But what are some of the more subtle things you're looking for here as you you know, you get your inventory in line, you, you figure out what you have, and you decide, how do you, how do you work, come up, come up with a plan to reduce that? How do you figure out what's extraneous and what you can lose? Sure. Yeah. Good question, Anthony. So, um, primarily, most of our customers, as we engage, have a, a solution, something like ServiceNow, as an example, something that's maintaining a master inventory of their system. A little bit more difficult in some of the folks that have recent acquisitions and they're trying to get their hands around kind of what that portfolio looks like, but kind of starts in the same place. And in some cases we'll help with that uh, kind of in this consulting engagement up front if there's difficulty there. But usually what happens is we'll work together to start building that list and the things that are obvious, um, maintenance costs. So from a cost perspective, renewal dates of those applications for maintenance contracts. And um, again, a core key 
compliance and governance teams really important, which I think everybody's mentioned on this call, uh, and with kind of responsibilities that they have as a takeaway. Example that would be uh, certain, certainly certain contracts have large dollar amounts tied to them. Uh, they may have today annual renewal dates as an example, but certainly uh, as folks are leaving those applications, um, negotiation can happen and those can often be you know, brought down into a quarterly or in some cases a monthly uh, contract renewal. So depending on when systems come offline, uh, those costs can you know, again be minimized uh, against a larger uh, renewal period, if you will. Again, same kind of thing we talked about earlier, uh, risks, you know, what, what risk might be involved in a certain application that might bring it to the top of the list as an example. So maybe the cost driver isn't the key. Maybe, you know, we've had some really unstable environments as an example and downtime, which, you know, scares individuals. Um, maybe that's a first item on that portfolio list. Um, and again, so those drivers typically are plotted out on, you know, a solution. Um, we happen to have an application inventory application that we've developed to try to make that you know situation easier as well for having to deal with uh, spreadsheets as an example uh, around that. But uh, that's usually the approach, at least at the onset, that's used. Uh, and then, like like um, Tom mentioned, again with acquisition, usually we'll help with a story or playbook of as those items come on. Uh, again, we typically know what we're going to archive based on past you know policy and procedure and compliance and governance. So we can usually attack that pretty straightforward in terms of the requirements as we go system by system down the list. Very good. Thank you for that, Jim. Uh, next question, we're going to go with Ed first on this. What types of conversations, relationships, and committees need to be formed so you can get buy-in from stakeholders as you go through this process? What's the CIO's role and IT's role in general to lead to support or both? Yeah, and one thing to note is that a lot of organizations will put governance in place as they go through a system implementation. And then um, what to do with the legacy data sometimes is run through those committees, but uh, other times since they're so focused on a live date, it doesn't get the attention that it needs and it becomes kind of a supporting project, which then may or may not go, go through that governance. So that's an important uh, point up front with your governance committees is to decide um, the legacy data, the conversion, et cetera. Is that a uh, function of the governance or will it be a separate uh, committee process? Very good, Corey. Yeah, I mean, um it's important to communicate you know one of our core values is communication is key and uh, certainly uh, it's every leader's role to pull folks together and and you know kind of strategize on on what's needed for the organization um i think in this day and age it's role is is paramount it's kind of it's not you're not just an it shop you're not just uh uh, a support department. I think, you know, IT's role now is kind of reached the, you know, the pinnacle where, you know, they need to lead and, you know, organizations are growing, they're, they're uh, uh, merging and, um, you know, with all the regulation and compliance that's out there, uh, it's, it's often my job now to find solutions for other folks and to think ahead of maybe even what our operational leaders are, are wanting to do and kind of put solutions in front of them before they, they even realize they need it. So, Well, yeah, that's, that's always been an interesting issue with IT leaders uh, is that are you there to support and to, to sort of take orders or are you there to lead? Um, and we heard a million times in the past with implementations, you can't lead, you can't lead. You can't be the one picking the system, which is a little different than leading, right? I mean, there's some subtleties in there. It's mm -hmm. not just black and white. Uh, you either lead or don't. Um, you either lead or support. Um, Corey, any more thoughts there? Because that's always been an issue to me that was a little gray. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the health IT leader today is not just, 
you know, kind of a, an IT geek, right? Uh, they understand the landscape or should understand the landscape of healthcare. Um, I think I understand a lot of, I, like, I don't know how to give a shot or take blood or, <laughs> you know, administer a med, but I can tell you, I understand the workflows that go on within healthcare. And I understand all the technology that we put in, in, in hospitals and clinics and to understand kind of the landscape um, is integral to, to my job. And so if I'm not providing solutions or attempting to uh, before someone's actually asking for them, then I don't know that I'm doing my job to make sure I understand what the healthcare landscape is all about. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, I, IT leaders should be taking kind of an uh, uh, active role and not a take orders role, like you put it. Right, right. Very good. Tom? On our side, we have what we call our record retention steering committee. That committee meets monthly and it's made up of uh, legal, compliance, HIM, IT, the whole shebang. So we have everyone represented in that committee. And one of the roles of that committee is to review uh, these you know, projects that come uh, across my desk and determine whether or not you know it's um, in the best interest of the long-term strategic plan to archive this data, uh, we uh, that committee also uh, tackles any issues that come along with you know um, uh, uh, any legal requests or you know inability to uh, retrieve data for whatever reason. So I I feel that committee is 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 so crucial. Uh, with the work that I do, because they're the ones that, um, you know, that if they're, you know, if they approve something, then it, that trickles down throughout the organization that this is, you know, uh, everyone has signed off. We've all agreed this is the best, best uh, path forward. And uh, this is, you know, the next project we're going to do. So that really works well in our organization. Jim, any thoughts, advice, uh, things you've seen work well in this area? Yeah, I think uh, back to Corey's comment about communication is key. Um, as you approach these types of projects, key stakeholders usually are, are afraid, are, you know, especially clinical providers. Their main concern is if you're asking what to migrate as an example to go for an application, they say everything, right? But usually that cost is prohibitive. Um, but it's really born in a fear of, I wanna make sure that my data is stable and reliable and present to provide care if it's clinical or you know, for other reasons. Um, so getting and communicating early and often that a archive solution usually will provide all the data that they need for compliance, for e-discovery, for patient care, as an example, uh, with, with significant demonstrations. So make, making sure that um, the vendor knows the source application and can demonstrate that capability. As an example, usually provides uh, and has provided good results in terms of a comfort level to go forward with those, you know, those teams that, as, as uh, Tom's mentioning, around, you know, the steering committee. But once you get down to that next level of actual users, as everybody knows, uh, a lot of times they've used products for 15 years. Um, it's hard to ch change is hard. So uh, usually we find that early communication uh, over communication as well as some of that demonstration capability has really helped kind of move those projects along, uh, you know, from the onset. Very good. All right. Next question, Corey, we're going to start with you. Talk about how to sunset applications and transfer data in a way that ensures data quality and security. Mm. Well, um, you know, obviously, if you're sunsetting an application, you're you're replacing it with something else, and so you're certainly not going to get rid of that application or the data uh, until that other application is up and running and you know, kind of burned in for you know a good period of time, probably six months a year. Um, we've certainly have had legacy systems that have kind of stuck around for multiple years, and so. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, you end up just, you know, kind of keeping the lights on in terms of that sunset application, just because you, you may need to access it, uh, you may need to extract it or, or in, you know, for various reasons because of the retention policy and the requests that you might get for information. 
Um, and so, uh, you know, you, you still have to include them in your backup procedures. You still need to include those in, in uh, you know, your overall business continuity uh, plan. And so uh, those things aren't kind of, you know, sent offshore, if you will, or, or put out the pasture as soon as you've, you've brought in a new application. You still need to manage that like you would any other solution that's an active solution for your users. So, um, you know, until you can get it archived into a solution that, you know, is all encompassing of all of your archived data that you're kind of built into your BCA and your, uh, uh, your uh, backup uh, plan, then you really you really have to treat it like an like a live active solution. Very good, Tom. Yeah, this um, this is easier for smaller applications and uh, more, obviously more difficult for large you know full on EMRs. But uh, you know it, ensuring data quality is so crucial. I mean, we go through a very, very stringent uh, validation process for every uh, every application we archive. So we keep the uh, source application around, uh, and when the archive is at the stage where we can test it and validate it, we have a full team on our end that goes in, brings up at least 10 to 20 patients, and looks at every single piece of data that uh, is in that patient record, compares it to the you know the data that was archived to ensure that every everything was copied over, um, it, it, you know, and then our compliance team reviews that. And so there's you know there's a couple stages to ensure that the data quality of uh, that sunset application is is now retained in whatever new. Uh, uh, format and uh, our application is, is now living. Security-wise, I mean, we, we definitely um, uh, make sure that access to that data is only granted to whatever teams uh, uh, need it. Uh, our, our focus is that we keep our archive data as uh, primarily accessible by our HIM team. We don't necessarily give it always to uh, like clinical office staff, even though they may have had, had access to that sunset application. Uh, they um, they may not get access to the data going forward. We put a process in place where they will need to work with HIM to uh, to get whatever data request. That is typically for older applications that. Um, you know, are not used as frequently. You know, uh, a big EMR that we just archive. Obviously, we give you know those local staff uh, uh, access to the to the archive data. But again, like I said, we make sure that it is set up in a way where you know there is a process to get access, and uh, that data remains secure. It's not just wide open for uh, any any user to just go in and view. Very good, Ed. I think uh, one point to emphasize there is the time required to validate the data. Um, as was noted, um, you, you have to put that, that time in. And sometimes a, a static clinical system um, takes less time than an active AR. So if your organization is still running their accounts receivable and doing billing to pick a time when users are locked out so you can do that comparison, um, that, that's important. And one thing to add to um, a previous question is the legacy vendors. You really need to look at what their longevity is going to be and their willingness or ability to negotiate uh, we had a situation, we had a one-year contract with a legacy vendor and then wanted to go month to month. And the premium to do that was really cost prohibitive. So it accelerated our plan uh, to, to, do the, uh, to do the archive. Very good. Uh, Jim? Uh, yeah, and 
as the vendor who's performing the archival services, we try to build in a lot of, our goal is, as mentioned earlier, a lot of our projects for archival are kind of considered second or third tier uh, against production systems. So we're already struggling to find um, subject matter experts as an example, or folks that are assigned to other projects as their priority. So we take that very seriously. So we, we will do an automated level of testing. So things like record row counts, kind of normal activities around technology, but then we do a heavy set of similar ver verification side-by-side -side comparisons. Um, so much so that we wanna get our projects done completed in, in a timely fashion that we built in a um, communication protocol into our application for submission of validation items that are found during that that phase. So we've had the uh, the ability to, in some cases, shrink timelines from two to six weeks on average, uh, just because of that back and forth, rather than dealing with phone calls, emails, spreadsheets, uh, and such. So again, as well as, and then to shut these systems off, as, as everybody's mentioned, uh, nobody's gonna do that without some level of, of validation, which is important. And then kind of what we call verification, make sure that the sign off is complete before that, that system shut off and decommissioned. So take that very seriously. And then from the security standpoint, um, again, PHI is, is critical. So uh, we, a couple of years ago, did a pretty significant investment in something called high trust certification. So there's, gosh, over 400 uh, uh, control measures that we have to meet uh, to make sure that um, as a vendor, we're good stewards of the data that we're archiving for our customers. Uh, amongst a lot of other technology uh, to, to make sure that, you know, data is secure uh, and provided as needed. Excellent. All right, we're going to do our audience poll now. And I'm going to launch this poll. So it's a agree or disagree. Most health systems can reduce their application by portfolio by at least 20% without losing needed functionality. So what do you think? You agree with that or you disagree? I was uh, I was kicking around 25 and I went back to 20 because I wanted to be you know, really uh, 25 sounded like a lot. So I thought you'd get a lot of disagree, but 20 percent off the top. It's just bloat. What do you think? Agree or disagree? Our panelists can vote as well. So I encourage that. And then we'll take a look at that in a minute and we'll have our panelists guess at that, which will be a lot of fun. So. Now I want to go to our Ask a Co-Panelist. So Jim, I want to give you an opportunity to ask your Co-Panelist a question. Sure. Um, speaking back to the governance, uh, what have you found as you go to decommission that system? Again, if you've got users that have utilized systems for a long time, what uh, tips or tricks have you implemented to make sure that when it's time to sunset the application, there's not the kind of the hanger on effect, right? Uh, we can't shut it down yet for X reason. Uh, you know, what, what suggestions would you have for folks on the, on the call here? Ed, why don't you go first? Yeah, I'll jump in. And really, your steering committee, your governance, uh, they need to have the list of what they're charged with. And um, if this is one of them, they have to hold firm and really look at the ROI and not just personal preference. So... Um, if somebody has to present to a steering committee and they don't have a valid case, the committee needs to um, stand up and say, no, we're, we're going to shut a system down and we're going to move forward. So it's um, sometimes people want to keep systems for convenience, and that's not a valid reason. Mm -hmm. Tom? Yeah. I guess I haven't really encountered that. Uh, I think um, it was mentioned earlier in another question where uh, we give a uh, an initial view of what the end result is going to be. So if you have some, have users that are just so in love with this application that they've used for such a long time, and then you know, they're worried that it's going to be this new complex system. But if you give a demo and say, okay, this is our goal. We want uh, this data to be moved over, and this is what it's going to look like. Once you do that, they they quickly do get on board. And it's not, you know, it's it's not as painful of a process because 
Um, the way, you know, the way our archive data looks, it's very similar to the original application and it's actually quite easier. So it's not, there's not that fear and pain about what the future is going to be because they, they see it and they, and they know it's going to make their life actually easier. So I don't, I don't experience that too much. Yeah. If I can jump in, it sounds like Tom has a great process in place and, um, I think the fact they do demos and probably allow the end users to bring in, you know, sample record and let's try this one um, instead of taking a heavy handed approach is really get them comfortable with the archive. I think that's a great approach. Yep. Corey. Yeah. Heavy handed. That's an interesting term. Uh, <laughs> it, I would say that you can always draw lines in the sand and we go through demos and we bring multiple product solutions for the same function to folks. And, you know, ultimately when you're managing that portfolio, it's about, Hey, we've got redundancies here, which, which, where are we going to go? I mean, all this function lives over here in the EHR, but we've got these disparate systems. And so, we we want to kind of sunset those because we like a one patient one record integrated kind of functionality um i would say in the steering committee that we have uh politically they don't like to step in other other people's sandboxes so they're not going to make uh decisions about you know okay we're all going to vote and we're going to vote against you and your department so that you don't uh, they really shy away from that because they don't want the other folks to, to vote against them in their department on the decision. So uh, I drive that decision based on cost because I can get everybody on board with saying we don't need to continue to spend this money. Um, and when we, when we say we're going to migrate and we now need to archive, but I need them to get off of that system, it's usually a, a contract is ending uh, we're going to stop paying for support. And so if you're still on it past when we've paid support and it goes down, then you're out of luck and potentially data could be at risk. And so people get scared. I hate to use scare tactics sometimes, but um, when you kind of push them in that direction, then then they kind of are forced to adopt and they're forced to move. And and it's it's a lot easier to create those deadlines. If I can add Very one point good. to what Corey oh, said, ahead, uh, just a second, um, is bring in those uh, managers in those departments to help you in discussions with the vendors. Um, these vendors that are going away, there's a lot of reasons for that. And uh, the those vendors' willingness and ability to keep systems running uh, gets less and less over time. So um you know bringing them in so they can see firsthand the vendor's ability or inability to keep a system running and keep it running at a cost effective because those vendors many times are not able to do that all right i want to uh go to our uh actually i want to get an audience question in here uh so let me get to that how much of your archive solution is on premise versus in the cloud? Do you see there's a strong value proposition moving archive to the cloud? Um, Ed, let's start with you. Uh, definitely, our archive is in the cloud and it really then reduces that, that need uh, for the in-house uh, maintenance, support, licensing, et cetera. So uh, definitely in the cloud. Tom? Yeah, we're actually 100% on premise. So I, I'm very curious about the answers to, uh, of the other panelists on this question because uh, we've just, that's the way we've set it up. And uh, I, I know some people uh, on our side uh, are wondering if it would be worth it to actually move to the cloud. It doesn't take too much work on our end to. Uh, to maintain our current environment. So it's not like we have a full-time, you know, technical team that's uh, that's working to keep that up and running. So it's not a lot of work on our end. Uh, I think initially they like the thought that our data is here and 
you know, we, we have control over it. And, you know, uh, back six years ago, you know, the cloud was a little scary and I, I think it's not as, you know, that way anymore, but um, we are a hundred percent on premise, but definitely open to, you know, exploring the uh, remote and cloud hosted in the future. Corey. Yeah, no, I would agree with Sam. We're, we're totally on premise. Um, we're a mid-sized organization. And so, um, uh, you know, we're, we're not, again, I think when you move a lot of things to the cloud, there's a lot of expense, you know, associated with that. Right now we have not found the magic price point and it's still more expensive for us to be in the cloud than it is to be on premise, given kind of what we do elsewhere with the rest of our technology. So yeah, we're, we're still on prem. Jim, do you any comments there? Yeah, um, like like I mentioned earlier, uh, it was definitely that way when when Tom and Corey became clients of ours quite a few years ago. Um, oddly enough, over the last couple of years, primarily, I'd, I'd tell you that about eighty to ninety percent of our customers choose the hosted option. So certainly, would like to talk with your teams. Um, and um, I think the price points have come down from the earlier points uh, to make that more economical. There's definitely benefits. Um, from a maintenance perspective as well in the cloud. Um, we've moved a, a lot of our solution to microservices. So if you upgrade one item, it, it upgrades all who's in the uh, remotely hosted environment as an example versus um, cab processes and um, individual you know, customer related downtime for upgrades and things like that uh, as well. But uh, again, the offering is still available you know, both on premise as well as hosted because we've got a lot of customers that feel the same way um, as Corey and Tom and their teams. Um, so it's really a customer, you know, driven activity or decision. Great. Next audience question. I would like to hear what the panel experience has been with clinical imaging archiving and reducing portfolios such as multiple PAC systems. Jim, why don't we start with you? Any thoughts? Uh, yeah, um, certainly. What we find typically is most folks are migrating those PAC solutions to um, their go forward solution um, and we'll archive the recording aspect as well as provide a hyperlink to where those images reside. I think that's changing. Uh, there's a big push for just general VNA independent solutions. Um, so we've been asked to basically kind of retire those systems or archive those systems and bring that into our product offering as well. Um, and I think over the last 12 months, we've seen that more often uh, than we have in the last gosh, four or five years. Tom? Yeah, I think the biggest obstacle with that is to make sure that whatever solution you're you're migrating from uh, has the ability to extract those images in a standard format like a PDF. Uh, we've done it and, and not have any issues, but we uh, we definitely um, always before we actually commit to a project. We just uh, want to work with the existing vendor to make sure they're able to get those images out and 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 they're in a format that can be archived. It's a little trickier when you're dealing with PAX images, but it, uh, typically we haven't had any issue uh, uh, getting them in the format we need. Ed? My experience uh, is about four years ago, converting from one PAX to another, and we did convert those images. It took a fair amount of time and expense. So uh, making sure everyone plans for that um, is important. With uh, cardiology images, there's so many different types, and we had different experience and different success in converting uh, cardiology images. Corey. We're actually going to do that this year. We're actually going to move to an enterprise imaging platform that combines both radiology and cardiology imaging. Um, there's so much integration with our EHR that we're not going to archive them. They're going to be kind of migrated to a VNA, uh, which is still integrated with the EHR and still tied to you know all the historical encounter reporting you know data. So. Um, not really something that I think is typical to to just put all that data into an archive. Um, I, I think it's certainly possible, but um, most facilities are probably going in a VNA type direction. 
All right, very good. We're going to look at the results of our audience poll. And as I said, I'm going to get our esteemed panelists to guess. I want percentage agree. What percentage agree with the statement that uh, you can reduce the portfolio by at least 20% without really feeling any pain? Ed? I think 50%. 50%. Tom? I'd go a little higher, maybe 60 60. Corey. Number that immediately came in my head was 57. 57. Jim. Wow, I had 40 in my head. 40. Wow, he's going on the low end here. Well, the answer is 96%. 96%. Everybody thinks there's lots of bloat out there. Yeah. Wow. So the winner there is going to be uh, Tom at 60. Well done, Tom. Well done. All right. Um, we're getting close to the end of our time here. I want to give Jim an opportunity for a last word of advice to our IT executives on the line. Um, we had a couple of good questions from uh, provider side IT executives asking questions. Uh, obviously, people are grappling with this. The two questions I asked are someone's dealing with them right now. So, Jim, your final words of advice. Yeah, I, I think um, the three panelists certainly have put us through the paces when they made their decision early. Um, as with any significant purchase or outlay uh, in such important decisions, I would stress to folks listening that the search process is important. Uh, making sure that a archival vendor of choice has the breadth and the depth and experience um, to get through their entire portfolio. Um, last thing, you know, we see a lot of pickups in terms of clients, in terms of they've gotten through one or two, but can't get through the entire portfolio. So uh, it's like I said, it's a big decision. Um, and again, you don't want to find yourself with archiving of archives, if you will, and have another bloat issue uh, as you go down, you know, down the path um, to, to make your decision. Excellent. All right. That's about all we had time for today. Today regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and you can go to our website to register for upcoming events. With that, I want to thank our excellent panel, Ed Duryi, Corey Hudson, Tom Brannigan, and Jim Hammer. I want to thank Harmony Healthcare IT for making the discussion possible. And I want to thank you for attending our events. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.